Welcome to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. In this program, we take a fresh look at some of today's challenges from the economy, education, politics, security, defense, and much more. You'll be prompted to see and think about things just a bit differently. Now, here are your hosts, Ambassador Harry Thomas and Chief Alex Morales. Welcome to The Spotlight. We are your hosts, Ambassador Retired Harry K. Thomas Jr. And I am the Chief Alex Morales. Harry, uh, who do we have today? We have Michael Days, who is a well-known journalist throughout America. His works, his career has centered in Philadelphia as the editor of the Inquirer and the Daily News. He is also an esteemed graduate of the College of the Holy Cross, uh, one of my brothers. So Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking the time, Mike. Good to be here with you gentlemen, and particularly great to be here with the, the ambassador who I remember from way back in the day at the College of the Holy Cross. He was I a think, youngster then. I think he was a freshman. I was a senior, if my memory serves me correct. I can imagine those days for both of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, uh, please tell us about yourself, please. Well, you know, I, I um, uh, the ambassador said I uh, had been a journalist, and I, was, and I think I started my first job in, in, a, in a newsroom, in a newspaper, and uh, I'm taking, taking myself way back, 1977, Minneapolis Tribune. So from that point on, I worked in Minneapolis, uh, doing a variety of things. I worked in Rochester, New York, uh, covering crime and education. And features for a while, I lived in Louisville, Kentucky. I worked at the Courier Journal for four years. I'm from Philadelphia, came home and uh, worked at the Wall Street Journal and the Philadelphia Bureau for a bit. And then I, you know, I went to the Daily News. I, I, the Journal was a terrific paper, but I was really missing working for a Metro newspaper. Uh, so I did that for a bit, covered. Um, some, of, some of your listeners will probably remember uh, the fact that the mayor at the time into bombing it was the first bombing of a of a U.S. city wow. <laughs> by an official. Was a you know we had the I guess what we would call then insurrectionists, the move organization. <laughs> we ended up really clearing it, clearing down, tearing down an entire block in Philadelphia. So I end up covering Mayor Good. Uh, uh, when when a report came out, a city report came out suggesting that he should resign over the matter. So my first question to him is, are you going to resign? So we had a, we had a rocky, rocky trip, but, you know, that's what journalists do, covered, covered schools. And then at some point, the, the manager at the time says, well, you know, I, I think you should, you know, think about being an editor. And I was like, well, who would want to do that? <laughs> because, you know, the, being a reporter in a lot of ways is the, the best kind of job to have. But, you know, much of my career, I realized that I, I've been assistant. There's a city editor and an assistant managing editor, managing editor. Um, Ran the Philadelphia Daily News for 10 years as the editor. Uh, was proud to be there when we won a, a Pulitzer Prize for investigative reporting. And I'm sort of finished off my career doing uh, diversity and inclusion work. I retired uh, at the end of December. And now I'm working with my wife. We're, you know, we're doing, we have a, a group called Editors on Call, and we work with people who are writing books and we're coaching folks on books and connecting people around the country to do literary kind of work. So, I mean, I'm, it was a good time to transition because, you know, I spent, I think I spent the, almost the entire last year of my career in newsrooms working from home. So now I really am working from home <laughs> officially, you know, so that, that's me in a nutshell. Uh, and uh, the thing about, about, about journalism is that it, it, it forces you uh, to, to, to be in the know and 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 thinking about okay how are we going to do this better how are we going to do things in a different kinds of way I was like joking with a friend a couple of weeks ago we were talking about uh, how she, this, you could, couldn't even imagine there was a point when there was there was no internet there, I mean the computers just didn't exist and so when I got into business you would bang out your stories on a typewriter oh my and god. then before you would turn it in you would edit it you know like, I'm talking about a manual typewriter most places. <laughs> And then you would have to edit it by gluing it together. So you'd have you'd have they'd have these things called glue pots, and then you would that's how you would edit it. 
and then you give it to your editor. And I told somebody on deadline, and I, I was, we, were, we were joking because we were of the same generation that, you know, if somebody held a gun to my head, man, I couldn't do that anymore. I mean, you know, but that's how we went. So we went from glue pots and paper and typewriters and, you know, kind of nasty editors coming down to your desk and, and pulling your story out of, out of a typewriter to everything now is, is uh, you know, done online. In fact, you know, when you think about this year, just about every newsroom in the country, whether they're print focus or digital focus or, or broadcast focus, most of the journals uh, have worked from their own homes because of, because of COVID. Would not have been possible. Probably wouldn't have been possible 10 years ago. Wow, amazing. Hey, Mike, let's take a, a step back. Okay. Uh, you've often spoken about how your mom made you do well, as well as her religious faith. Tell us about this amazing woman. My mother, Helen B. Days, um, unfortunately, she passed just this last April due to COVID. Sorry to hear but that. But she, she was, she was, she was, you know, she raised pretty much two kids by herself, myself, my sister Vera, um, was from um, a part of South Carolina, which is known as sort of like Gullah country, sort of the islands off of South Carolina and Georgia. Like a lot of black folk, who uh, she came from the South to the North for better opportunities. Um, and ultimately ended up raising her kids pretty much on her own, but she was very much committed uh, to making sure that her kids were, as she would say, going to be somebody. So uh, this was a this was a period. This is I'm talking about uh, late '50s, early '60s, when the alternative schools in in Philadelphia and, and certainly in the tough sections of town were Catholic schools. Uh, and you know, I, I think when I think back now, there weren't there weren't a lot of uh, uh, frills in Catholic schools, but you could read, you could write, you know, you could do math. And so um, my mother decided I was going to go to the Catholic school, St. Malachi School. So that was first grade. Second grade, I'm going to tell you about my mother. So uh, the, the principal at, that, at the school said, well, you know, we really don't have room for Michael to come back because you all are not Catholic. <laughs> and uh, my mother said, well, you know, I think the Lord's telling us we need to be Catholic. And so that was the beginning of many, many years in Catholic school. Um, and I, and I really appreciate that, appreciate her every day for that because there was a lot of discipline at home. You know, I, you know, you, you can't even imagine Catholic schools now because in those days there were still a lot of nuns. I think in eight years I had one lay teacher. And, and so, you know, you know, they reinforced what I was hearing at home and I, and, you know, I can't say I was a, a brilliant student, but I was a decent student. And, and, and so that what I was getting at home, what I was getting from her, uh, was amplified there. I and mean, my sister the same way. She, you know, she went to Catholic schools. We, we both went to Catholic high schools and uh, went to Catholic college. I'm not sure it works for everybody, but it certainly worked for us. She was a remarkable. And I remember what, there was a point when uh, we were really grown and had, you know, kids and everything. And my mother, you know, we were having, having one of those family gatherings. It probably was Christmas or something. So my wife turns to me and says, just, you know, you and Vera are still afraid of your mother. <laughs> and I said, "Who's your hand?" <laughs> she was just she was a force. Um, you know, it was clear that she loved us, but but you you either either we're going to listen to her, or or it was it was going to be a big problem. <laughs> but Michael, Mike, you said also that she managed to take you all on vacation every year, despite meager income. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how she, but she, she was, she saved, you know, I think Vera and I, my sister's Vera, we talked about that for, at one point. She didn't get in the debt. She saved. We always went, you know, in this, in this part of the world, people go to Atlantic City or Wildwood or someplace in the, on the Jersey Shore. She was a big fan of Canada. We'd go to Canada like every, every couple of years. She just made sure that we were exposed to a variety of things. Uh, she forced us to take piano lessons, you know, oh, wow. uh, which hardly anybody was doing in our in our neighborhood. But that was just she had high high expectations 
and 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 we and as you know we would veer from time to time you know certainly in your teenage years but not too much (laughs) (laughs) if you want to find the locks changed on you know (laughs) very strong woman why did you choose to attend Holy Cross then? Is it was because uh, your transition? You know, I, you know, I thought. Well, I, you know, I've I've always been kind of strategic, and I said, well, I'm a decent student, but but I'm not brilliant. So, I, but I think I can get some money if I can go if I can get into a Catholic college. And I've been active in something called Catholic Youth Organization, which was really built for teenagers in in Philadelphia and probably around the country as well. And you know, I, so I sort of set my sights on Seton. Hall, which is a fine liberal arts school in in North Jersey. But there had been, there were guys I knew who were in, went to the the high school, it was called Roman Catholic, it was the first free Catholic high school in America. And there was one guy who came back who I had known fairly well, named uh, Rod Baker. He was a class of 74. You know, it took me years to remember, figure out what his real name was. We always called him Cheese. (laughs) And he came back and they pulled some folks out of classes and he talked about the experience he was having in Worcester, Massachusetts at the school. I applied, a good friend of mine applied. We both got in and we were roommates for a couple of years. So, I mean, it was, uh, it was just one of those things that maybe it was meant to be, but I, it, was not, it was not on my radar initially. But to have somebody come back who you would go in the, go in the high school with, he was a year ahead of me, had gone to high school with, uh, and seemed happy with the experience. You know, there, and clearly there were challenges. There are always challenges. But I said, okay, I'm going to apply to Holy Cross. And that, and that, and was, you know, that's just how it worked out. Go ahead, Harry. Well, we was, I still call him Cheese. And uh, <laughs> he is, he works for the Philadelphia 76ers. He's been a coach all around America, Alex. Okay. On the college, university and pro level. Uh, but Mike, when did you be, decide to become a journalist? That happened at Holy Cross. Uh, there's a there was a guy there. I don't know if you ever met him, Harry, because he was he was in my class, and he 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 ended up transferring to Columbia after a couple of years at the Cross. He um, when I was thinking about becoming a teacher, and I was sort of working with kids in the summer, he was working for the the Daily in Atlantic City, Atlantic City Press. So we would talk all the time, and he would uh, talk about the experiences he was having and the different things he was uh, doing. And you know, I'm I'm a guy that's that's kind of nosy, so <laughs> I was sort of taking it all in. And and at that point at Holy Cross, I don't know if they have it have an experimental studies program now, department now. But at that point, uh, you if you could if you could figure out something you wanted to do and get it approved, you could get credit for it. So I went to the weekly in town. It was at Suburban Weekly and got a semester internship. And so I think, remember the first story they gave me was, was to go with a bunch of kids, uh, special needs kids who were learning how to ski. And they ended up putting that story on the front page. And there's, there I am on their front page with my byline. And I was sold after that. Uh, so, I mean, that was, I don't know, that probably was 72, 73. Uh, but I didn't, you know, be, because it came to me late, because I, Really, you know, there was a guy in high school, a doctor. He was Dr. Meckley. He was Mr. Meckley when I had him. He was probably the coolest cat you'd ever want to talk to. He taught English. So I sort of modeled myself. Thought I was modeling myself after him. But then, so I, you know, I veered, sort of veered to the right and got into journalism. And it was the right thing for me. Well, and the right thing for him is we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Turn every weekend into a fun storytime adventure with Jesse Jameson and Friends. Each week, Jesse brings on a new guest with a great real-life story to share. And he tests the limits of some of his friends' storytelling abilities with fun questions and outrageous comments. If you have a story worth telling, you can be a part of the show, too. Listen to Jesse Jameson and Friends every Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to the spotlight. And we're back with the spotlight with Mr. Mike Dace. Uh, Mike, uh, you were talking about journalism. And what are the challenges you think journalism face today? Faces a lot of, a lot of challenges. You know, there, there was a period when, in terms of the financial part of journalism, it was almost like a mint. Everybody subscribed to newspaper, uh, and news. And, I, and I'll, I'll get to the other parts. But but my background had been newspapers. People subscribed to papers. Papers didn't cost that much because it was the revenue for the most part came from advertising. Uh, Macy's and Gimbel's and um, Gimbel's is a local, but Macy's is a, a, a national brand. Uh, department stores, uh, food stores, um, really support journalists and journalism. That has all changed dramatically. Uh, the reality is for most, certainly regional papers, um, they're still supported by print, although we're all, we're all trying to figure out the digital piece because everybody now is using their, I mean, the, the smartphones really are how most people get their news. Uh, if they care about news, and if 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 we the three of us were in a focus group now, and we were talking to people about what would newspapers or or media outlets have to do to get them to pay for news, they would say most people would say it should be free, you know. Uh, <laughs> of course, and and, I, and I'm bringing it up because I was not that long ago. I was in some focus groups, and, I, and, and so the, the moderator was like, "Well, you you know, everybody gets Netflix, well, you, but Netflix is like." entertainment that's really important so i mean so there is that frustration now the journalism he says that um people need people need to have an understanding I mean, the, the, to me journalists journalism done well is the thing that ties us together it brings us together it informs us uh one of the challenges now i think in our particularly in our country is that you know, we're so divided. The country's really split down down the middle in a lot of ways. And I don't, you know, I, the thing that kind of keeps me up at night is that I don't know how we how we begin to bridge that divide. You know, what is truth? What you know, and how on how do we get people to understand that? You know, there really is. You know, truth really comes in sort of one flavor. <laughs> it's not. It, it, you can't. We can't all have our own truth. And and there's so much of that now. Uh, and so regionally, in terms of in terms of media outlets, are going to survive. No, the network's going to be just fine. Cable's going to be just fine. The national papers are going to be just fine. But just in the last couple of three years, a lot of a lot of things that had traditionally been newspapers have folded because the money just wasn't there to support them. There's a lot, you know, in Philadelphia where I've just, you know, like I said, retired from. The the Inquirer Daily News uh, Inquirer dot com are owned by a nonprofit, and so one of the things they have really been focused on is raising money. They were left quite a bit of money by the last person holding it was a a billionaire, but you're starting to see a model now of regional papers either being supported by nonprofits like, like the Lenfest Institute, or you take take a paper like. Uh, you know, the Washington Post, which is owned by you know, the richest man on the planet, I think, uh, the guy who owns Amazon. So, I mean, they, I think, you know, but there are a lot of, a lot of other places that they're trying to 
figure out how to make things work. So you're, you're finding that news organizations are working with, you know, other digital only places to do develop major stories. Uh, we're doing more stuff with, with, with television, public radio, public television. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I am very biased on that matter. News, you know, newsrooms in some form, form of function have to, you know, are, are needed to inform public, to inform the public. And you'd like to think that, look, you know, the, the interesting thing I think about what happens in America in the evening is that everybody goes home and everybody has their, 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 their particular flavor. They're, they're doing CNN or they're doing MSNBC or they're doing, you know, uh, CNN. And and they they all sort of tell stories in different ways, and I think there will there should always be a need for institutions that write for everybody. But that, but it's challenging because it, the financial thing, the financial issue now is for most of us, the, the revenue comes from um, subscribers. The revenue comes from customers and not from advertisers. And you know, money. You know, I to be honest with you, I've been thinking a whole lot about money because you weren't making a whole lot in, in the beginning of your career and you didn't have to really think too much about how the organizations were going to survive because money just sort of came in. It's not the case now. I think from the outside, my view is uh, uh, you, you could say that the local paper have disappeared and the local paper is what used to hold people accountable in the, econ you know, in the local mm -hmm. cities. So, Well, they are. I mean, in the smaller towns, they are. I mean, you're absolutely right. And so I, I think a lot in a lot of markets, people are trying to figure out uh, how to bundle, how to combine newsrooms so that they're ha they're doing it in a regional way. But a lot of the smallish towns, thirty thousand, forty thousand, fifty thousand circulation that had newspapers, some of them had two newspapers. They don't exist for the most part anymore. Yes, sir. Correct. Go ahead. Hey, Mike. When you were starting out, did you have a mentor or a role model in the newsroom? I had I had role models, but they the, most of them weren't at in in the newsroom. And there are people I respected, um, but there are people like uh, Robert Maynard, who was the first um, uh, black man who to own a mainstream newspaper. He owned the Oakland Tribune. He's passed on now, but his legacy is the Maynard Institute, which you know you know what the Maynard Institute did was when newsroom said. Companies said they couldn't find people, couldn't find black, brown people, indigenous people. They would train them. Couldn't find copywriters. They would train them. Couldn't find editors. They would train them. So they're still they're doing a lot of that work now, even though he um, he is long gone. In fact, his daughter took over the institute, and and she is now passed. Uh, the guy I met um, uh, Fletcher Clark, who was the first first black man to run to manage a paper for a company called Gannett, which is still a very thriving, big thriving media outlet in, in Niagara Falls. Uh, we met at some conference. Uh, I ended up in Rochester, New York. He was the managing editor in, uh, in Niagara Falls, which is, you know, I don't know how long it was now. When you're 20, you get in the car, you don't think about how long it's gonna take you to get anywhere, but I think maybe it was an hour and a half. And he was one of those guys when, who, when I said, I'm not so sure this is for me. I'm not sure this, you know, working 6 p.m. at night to 2 in the morning and off on Tuesday and Wednesday is what I had in mind. And uh, he said, why don't you come, come, come up for a couple of days and let's talk. So, I mean, they're always, they're, they're people who sort of steer you in the right direction, uh, pump you up a bit. Um, the woman who, the first, the first black woman to work as a journalist at the Washington Post, Dorothy Gilliam. You know, she was a mentor. So, you know, you do need, and I think that that will always continue in any profession. The people you need to call is just be be your authentic self when you're having, when you're trying to figure out what's, what's the right path to take. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think now at this point in my life, my, my mentors tend to be my peers, people I came up in the business with. So we mentor one another, you know. What are you going to do? What are you doing? How's your life? <laughs> but, the, but it's so very important. And uh, you know, and back in those days, um, there, there really, you know, there weren't, and, and most mainstream newsrooms, there might be one or two African Americans, maybe one or two Latino, Latina, Latino, maybe. And I mean, it, and, and those newsrooms were the major ones were huge then. Uh, so you had to kind of had to kind of find your way, and. Um, 
things are getting a little better now, but you know, the expectations for maybe weren't said, but you know, there was like, well, maybe he can do the job. Maybe she can do the job. Maybe there are going to be some issues with that. So you needed to, you know, you, you, need, to, you need to prove yourself. And then, you know, we all still need to do that now. That's indeed. Mentors, mentors still are very, very important. Hey, Mike, what training is required to be a journalist and what, what skill is needed to be successful? People coming along now, they have to have something more skilled. You know, you think of the world they live in. Um, and let me, let me start this way. There's a whole set of skills. There's a whole new set of people who work in newsrooms, whether it's TV or print-based or digital-based, uh, that didn't exist 10, 12 years ago. They're producers. They're people who just look at the metrics and trying to figure out what are people actually reading? What are they looking at? So... And everybody has to have, have those kinds of skills. You know, a young person coming into the business now, and I, it's where the end I did a lot of recruiting and just looking at resumes. If, if you're not, if, 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 if you have no, if you have never done a podcast, if you can't do basic video, if you can't take, can't take uh, uh, photos, I'm talking about just a general a journalist. If you can't do all, have all that kind of a background. Nobody wants to talk to you. Oh wow! Now there are people who there are people who like in, in the Enquirer, uh, the editor there, the, the the graphics photo editor now. You know, print people did not apply for Emmys, didn't try to win Emmy awards. In newsrooms, all kind of newsrooms now, people are doing videos at at that level where they can win Emmys. So I mean, you, you we're trying to meet the customer where, where they are, the reader where they are, and they people. It's a very visual world. I just would okay. just think you and just you asking me that I was thinking back to going when I was at the Wall Street Journal that would have been in night in the uh, mid eighties. Uh, maybe Harry remembers that, but the journal didn't have any photos. They would okay. have little illustrations in the journal. Now, now they're like everybody else, but that but they were very proud of the fact that they didn't run photos. No. <laughs> so you say people used to read, <laughs> and now they don't read. <laughs> no, it was well. People, people expect they want. To, I mean, people want a visual. I mean, they're used to it. You know. Okay, I see. Uh, Mike, it's incredible. I remember those caricatures in the, in the journal, and now if you read an article, you on finance in the journal, you just click, and it takes you to to the stock they're talking about. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you know? and, that, and that works. You know. And I mean, you know, the old head that I am, I mean, I, there are a bunch of papers I get every morning or I read them all day, but most of them I'm getting them in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, the Philadelphia Inquirer. They're all, they're all coming to my, my laptop, you know, because yeah. you know, you're right, you have, you have the links to all the other different things you want to yeah. take a look at and want to see how I, your stocks are doing. I was telling my daughter the other day that I wish... I was on Sunday, I was talking to her. I said, you know, I need to be sitting outside with the Sunday New York Times and my coffee. And and I don't pay for it in Tampa because it's, you know, $5 for one times as opposed to online. But that's still, you know, I, I, uh, I'm a dinosaur on that. I do think, you know, I do think that the weekend papers are going to survive much longer than anything else. Mm. Because you're in a different mode, and I and I, you know, we do get that. We get the Sunday Times and the magazine. I'm, although, I'd be honest with you, Ambassador, I've read most of it by the time it arrives because <laughs> I received a lot. Yeah, it's hard. We but there, it. there's something about the tactile experience of turning a page. Mm -hmm. It's a different kind of reading. Nobody's waiting in line like they used to arrogantly in New York to have, get the Sunday Times on Saturday night. You know, <laughs> that was the big deal in New York yeah, City. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but really, since we're talking about the future, uh, what advice would you give youngsters seeking to enter the field? Well, you know, and the thing that 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 I'm always encouraged by, you know, given you know the, the, the you know the doom and gloom that's there are young people who are very excited. When you go to, I've been an active all migration called National Association of Black Journalists. Now, when I when I joined, that would have been like in the late two, there were about two hundred three hundred members, and we were just thrilled to be with one another for three days. <laughs> You know, now they're 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 you know you know you'll have four thousand people. Hopefully, we'll be back to having a conference in twenty twenty two that's not virtual. They are just very talented. In fact, the last the last virtual thing I went to you know, did, did recruiting for. They're you know we're learning from them. They're like you know someone else doing TikTok. I said, are oh, really they're doing news on TikTok? 
I, one, I just, I was kind of impressed with myself because I knew what TikTok is. <laughs> <laughs> but so all these mediums they're using, they're doing, they, they, you know, they're doing podcasts. They're, they're really, they're really because of that their generation. They know how how their generation wants to gather news. And and the reality is we're all we're all we're all doing news in that kind of way. So they have to have, you know, for you know, one of the things you ask when you're interviewing people, well, how many followers do you have on Instagram? How many followers do you have on Twitter? Because you want people to have, have are bringing their own audience. Can you imagine somebody, you know, well, that didn't exist in the eighties, but you know, so they have to they and they and they and they have to be able to market themselves. They have to, you know, they have to they have to have skills and a lot of a lot of different kinds of skills. I, you know, at, coming along, I didn't have to worry about can I can I take photos because that was somebody else's job, you know. You still have a lot of companies still have photographers. They have, we have videographers and they and they do the high end stuff. But a basic two minute video, you have to have those skills as well. So you know, but some of the basic things never change. Are are you well read? Do you have a sense of, of your space? Do you have a sense of where you are and what people care about? Are you, you know, a literate person, literary person to some extent? Can you listen? Um, you know, if there was, I think one of the things we had talked about a bit, Ambassador, was this whole issue of objectivity. Objectivity is not something that you hear a whole lot about. And I, and to be honest with you, I was never, never that big of a fan of that term. I think what we have to be is, is fair. Because when people say that, you know, when you look at sort of mainstream media, when we were, they were saying they were objective, a lot of times, a lot of communities were not being covered. They were covering, we were covering communities that the people who worked there cared about. Now, is that objectivity? I would argue that it is not. So, and, and if, there's a, if there's a good side to uh, really having, to, having to, to focus on the customers, that who are the customers, what are they doing, what do they care about? And people want to see themselves when they pick up the paper or they pick up or they pull up their laptop or whatever. They want to see themselves in all kinds of ways found in the news or in that whatever medium they're in, they're looking at. And with want to see themselves, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to the spotlight. Welcome back to the spotlight. Mike, you were talking about going to the basics. And I always, uh, in the military, we, we always say when stuff not go, uh, going wrong, you just go back to basic to start all over, you know, from the basics. So 
Can you please tell our audience, uh, our listeners, uh, how journalists, journalists research and write stories? It's a, it's a completely different world now. You know, not that long ago, if you worked for a news organization or a TV station, whatever, you would, you would produce your story for X period of time. If you're doing a te television, you know, the, the, the six o'clock show or the 11 o'clock show and, and, new, and, and, and print magazine, you turn it on an X, X period of time. With the, what the internet has required is that you are always updating, you know, you come back, you're doing an assignment. It, on a basic store, you're doing an assignment, it goes up immediately. And then you're just updating it all day because uh, anything that's old in three or four hours, people view that as not relevant in their lives anymore. They want they want to be updated. They want to know what's going on. So that requires you, and I have to admit, the first time I saw a reporter banging out a story on his iPhone, I was like, wow, <laughs> you know, because, you know, you're you're using the iPhone or whatever whatever your, your smart device is. You 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 know you hardly ever see if you watch when you're seeing a news conference now. You hardly ever see reporters taking notes. They they're just holding up that phone and, and taking it. And then they then they deal with it and then they type type the story. Um, it it's a you know it's much more pressure filled and 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 deadlines are not daily. Deadlines can be hourly. Oh. So it really, it really requires sort of a, 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 a clarity of mind and, and you know, sort of and a clarity in terms of what your purpose is. The, the best folks. And at the same time, you have, to be, you have to be a bit of a deep thinker to know, you know, are you, are you getting this right? Have, do you have me talked enough? I mean, I mean you st we still want, I mean, I always, we always say this to reporters, you know, getting stuff... Getting it right is more important, right? So you're talking to enough people. You you have to have a sense of what the issues are you're writing about, whether it's whether you're covering politics or covering education or covering a game. Uh, so that, you know that requires deep deep sourcing, um, and and but the you know the pressure the pressure is intense. And uh, I'm not quite sure what happened in the last ten years. And 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 there are a growing number of journalists who. Um, who are entrepreneurs? They work for a lot of different organizations, uh, nope. and they—that's how they—that's how they feed themselves, how they feed their families. Mike, can we step back for a second? One of the things that you said that really intrigued me was when you're looking for, uh, when you're interviewing, you look for people who can listen. One of the challenges Alex and I face when we're overseas, military and the foreign service, is Americans don't listen. I was telling you that, Mike. You know? <laughs> so we, we, we have the answer in a foreign language, in a foreign culture, before you've really told us your story. And it causes us all kinds of problems in terms of, A, telling Washington what you really said and what you really think, but also understanding you. So how do you do that with a journalist who's not from Philly and, or not from Southern New Jersey, who's trying to cover stories in a community she or he is not quite familiar with? Well, you, you, have, you have to get to know, you, you have to get to know people. And that's, you know, from my vantage point, that's the most important thing is the listening. It's like, shut up, pay attention. <laughs> So that I means, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're talking to young, particularly young journalists, it's not the first question that's the most important one. That's the follow-up questions. And to, to have smart follow-up questions, you have to listen, I guess, in any career, right? And, and you know, people will, t I mean, people will tell you, if they, people feel like you're really listening to them, they will let you in, they, you know, they'll let you in, they'll let you in their lives. You know, I, you know one of the things, I don't want to talk about, make it about me, but I remember... When I lived in Louisville, and they, you know, in those days there were there were these Vietnam vet centers. I don't think they they exist in large, and in, in, in quantities anymore. But this was Louisville, and a lot of these guys and women were back from, had been back from Vietnam a bit, but maybe ten years, and they were having all kind of emotional issues, and uh, they had sent out a couple of very more senior reporters. Uh, to try to tell, be able to tell these guys stories they dealt with Agent Orange, and they. Um, I can't. I forget what the, there was. Some kind of symptom where they were they would have 
they've sweats in the middle of the night and they were going to therapists and all that. And I just I just went and sat. Took me a month. And but I just went and sat and listened and and and, and I'm and I wasn't faking it. I was really I really because I, I did not serve in the military. I didn't really know. I just knew that this what what I was hearing in these meetings uh was important. I think so my only point with that is I think you you, you have to just really be open. Now I mean there are journalists who are you know, they're charmers and they're people who who intimidate. Now, the, oh, very few people can only only a few people can do that intimidating piece. And I'm not sure it works in the 21st century, but anyway. But people, if you if people think that you're really here to tell their story or to try to figure out an issue, they will they will spend some time with you. But I, I hear I hear what you're saying. I mean, I when I when I've traveled overseas sometimes with a friend. And, and you know, sometimes I say, well, I don't know why they do it this way. Why are they doing that? Why don't you just sit and have a glass of wine <laughs> and not worry about it? This is not the United States of America, you know? <laughs> that is true. Sometimes we want to... But the listening, the listening is, I mean, I really think that's really, that's probably, one, you know, what, regardless of what the technology is, um, that's a very important skill. Hey, hey, hey Mike, how do you keep from becoming cynical? I think part of it's just my DNA. I mean, I'm, you know, there's some people are the glasses half empty. I'm always a glass half full. Uh, but, you know, sometimes it's, I'm not going to get into politics. Sometimes it's, it's, it's hard. Uh, uh, and one of the things that certainly as a, when I was editor of the Daily News, I would say, let's, we have to tell the community stories, but let's look for stories that connect people because there's more stuff that connects us than separates us. Sometimes you just have to show what those connections are, you know? Correct. Well, Mike, you know, one of the things we have to do is, uh, I was a political officer, but we have economic officers. They have to build relationships. So when you say connecting and listening, that is actually what we try to do. Um, so that we can learn. But one of the things that intrigues me is uh, how can we encourage minorities and women to enter journalism? Well, people have to see people doing that job. And, and there's, there are more instances of that now, you know, in Philadelphia in the, in the, in the uh, C's early 70s, there were few, there were few people at the print, at the newspapers. There were few people on television. Uh, now there are all kinds, kinds of, of, um, Role models. One of the reasons I think that uh, uh, some of the ethnic associations do so well because it's a, sort of a yearly affirmation, a public yearly affirmation of what you're trying to do with yourself. And then you know, out of these, out of those gatherings, you make you make contacts, you make friends for life. Some of us found our spouses at these conventions, so you know. Um, the other thing, I mean, I think I'm halfway asking your question. I think that. One of the biggest challenges is not meeting with people just when you need something. You know, you have to make time, and it's hard. It's hard, and, but to make time to just be with people and, and you know, let them get to know you a little bit. We should have brought you into the Foreign Service because <laughs> we, that, that's so much of what we have to do. Uh, it's really interesting, not just the foreign service, but working in an embassy. And you know, it's, it's an interesting debate because I'm thinking. I mean, I haven't done foreign service, but different communities have, are, have different styles. It took me a took me a minute when I lived in Louisville, Kentucky, for four years, just to slow down. Because you go in to get buy something in a store, people don't just they just don't want to have a transaction. How are you? How are you, how's your day going? <laughs> and initially, it was like, who are your people? You know. Because people, they, they want to put you in some kind of context. And I just, you know, I'm a Northeast guy. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I got to get moved. I got to get going. But I just, you just have to get into the rhythm. And I can't, I'm sure that, that, that has, in terms of foreign service, it's probably a lot of that. Getting, just getting into the rhythm of how people view their, their lives and how they view their lives. Actually, that's funny because uh, that's one of the challenges that I face when I go up north. You know, New York, Philadelphia. Yes. It's like, hey, good morning. How you doing today, sir? And they're looking at me. Why are you talking to me? I'm busy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. You know, so everybody here, you know, is kind of like, hey, how you doing? How's your date? And everything, even though uh, 
so it is it is funny uh so let me ask you this uh i know we're going back and forth but uh what does the national association of black journalists do and why does it assist well we're i think we're going into year 44 now 44 years of service and it, it some of the stuff i've talked about in terms of preparing people for other other responsibilities moving on moving up in different companies it, you know it it's it's a it's a major organization that continues to exist and you know the thing the, and continues to exist with more and more young people because people feel a connection they feel like okay i'm going to i'm going to be involved in NABJ. it's going to help me get a better job it's going to help me think through what am i doing with my career it's going to help me uh prepare to do more photos or be or be do more videos to make to make sure I'm connected to all kinds of people. One of the things I'm working on now with a couple other folks with NABJ is really bolstering building our editor space in terms of okay when people want to you know the reality is most m most of the decisions are made in all kinds of newsrooms are being made by editors. Uh, and a lot of times reporters, uh, the best ones get to do their own stories, but a lot of times they have to work them through the editors. The editors are are the guys and women who really do a lot of the assignments. So, you know, you really, so there, there's a focus on that. There's a focus on on how to present yourself. There's a focus on if you, you know, as, you, as you're changing careers. You know, these, you know, it wasn't that long ago people went into newspapers, they went into television, they went into radio. They went in the digital. Now it's all sort of blending together. So just helping people work through all of that. And so there's the National Association of Black Journalists, the National Association of Hispanic Journalists, Asian American Journalists Association. There's a, 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 a uh, then there's a group that's focused on any. Sometimes we all meet together, uh, so, um, and a lot of times we do things together. But the reality is, you know, in a country that has that is changing, that is not. You know, the, the so-called minority is going to be the majority, uh, and I guess, what, in another decade or so? We're committed to making sure that people are, you know, representation really matters. How folks are covered really matters. And then I'm not talking about puff pieces, but just good stories that reflect life in America or so-and-so important, so important. You know, there's... Uh, and sometimes you just have to laugh about stuff. I mean, even now in 20, 2021, you know, I, I guess it was I guess it was the, the the travesty in Puerto Rico. What has it been a year or two? Just kind of reminding people, uh, you do know that Puerto Rico is part of the United States. So let's not talk about immigrants. Correct. <laughs> don't get me started. Don't get me, don't get me started with that. Don't get me started. But you know what I'm that. saying? I mean, because because if 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 you're working at a place like Philadelphia. Where there is, you know, and when I grew up, there were, um, in fact, I grew up in a community was pretty much African-American in Puerto Rico. Well, that was in the 60s. Now, you know, it's like we have Mexicans, Guatemalans, Nicaraguans. So I was like, let's not, let's, let's not be a bunch of people together. <laughs> Just because we call them Latinos, that doesn't mean that they see the world the same kind of way. And, but so you, you people, and I, and I think sometimes people of color have to lead the way in that. Because okay. we know what it's like to be stereotyped, you know. Hey, Mike, uh, your wife is very important. Your wife is an author. She's an author. Please tell us about tell tell our listeners about her work and her book. Her book is called "Remember the Ladies." It, it's focused on a uh, hundred years since the women got the right to vote, or just you know, legally got the right to vote. So. Um, but, be, but sort of back and totally back. She, you know, she, we met in the newsroom. She, was, I was working for the morning paper in Rochester, New York. She was working for the afternoon paper back in the days when a lot of towns had two papers owned by the same company. And so we got to chat a little bit. And I, you know, like maybe it was it was at four, maybe forty some years ago. And I said, well, we should have we should have dinner. And she said, uh, <laughs> how about Friday? I said, sure. Well, that was Thursday. So. <laughs> And we've been together ever since. So we both worked in papers. In fact, we worked in Louisville together. We got married in Louisville. She worked. She worked at the time for several, quite a few years. And she was part of a group that that created a magazine called Black Issues Book Review. And that's how she got involved with the whole book world. Uh, so she, you know, she for for a long time she's helped, she's coached books, help people think about how to write a book, um, 
and and she's done some ghost writing, and you know she's uh, and she's written her own. Now she's written her own book. In fact, you know I did a book on Obama, um, and I guess four years ago, and I, it, it, not it's not like I was sitting around saying I need to do a book on Obama. It was her, her connection, and they were looking for somebody who could turn a book for the Hatch, Hatchet Publishing could turn a book, and on on Obama, right? You know, as he was about to exit the White House, and I said I don't have time to be writing a book. <laughs> And and uh, she said, well, I think you really should do this, and so, and I'll help you. So, you know, she taught me a lot about what she does, because there were a lot of points where I thought, somebody's going to die in this house. <laughs> 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 and she said, no, just write, you know, I mean, she helped me get it structured, five, you know, you, you, know, you got to write 500 words every day. And we got it done. We got it done. So she does that with a lot of people. In fact, what we're doing now is, you know, we're working, you know, our company's editors on call. So she's, you know, she's working on a book now, uh, helping somebody uh, do a book. I mean, we're working together on somebody who's doing some science fiction work, uh, working with another guy who's doing a book on wealth. And that's really geared to the African-American community and how we need to do better and how, how we can do better. So, you know, and, you know, and, and the world we live in, uh, have lived in most of our married life. It's been rare when we've actually had dinner together. <laughs> Except on the weekends. In fact, I mean, we had, when the kids were growing up, and I'd like make a point of being home like one night a week. They're like, "Is everything okay?" It was it's so rare to see me doing the week. Are you okay? <laughs> Do you still have a job? Yeah. Um, no. So this is this has been a good time. She's she is um, she's a force of nature. She really is a force of nature. Good. Well, Harry, we uh, take us out. It's been great. Well, thank you so much, Mike Days. Uh, it was a pleasure and an honor to have you. You've had a sterling career. Your mom is smiling down on you and Vera with, with love and pride. Uh, happy, happy Easter, uh, my brother. Thank you. Happy Easter. It was great being with you, gentlemen. Thank you so much for having me on. Much appreciated. Thank you. This was the Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. Thank you for tuning into the spotlight with the ambassador and the chief. Be sure to join Chief Alex Morales and Ambassador Harry Thomas again on the Voice America Variety Channel.